Together, a podcast by Central Peninsula Church in the San Francisco Bay Area. All right, everyone, we are back. We are ready to get in the groove. We are here. Stop collaborating. Get in the groove. And listen. And we're joined by none other than Stephen Patiti. Hello. <laughs> I have a question for both of you. And the question is, we'll start with Mr. Patiti. Patiti. Just <laughs> really emphasizing the T's. Yeah. What did you want to be when you were a small lad? What did you want to be? When I was be? a small Patiti? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what did you want to be when you grew up? Or even better, a petite like, Patiti. Was there a person that, like, that, like, whatever you wanted to be, was there a person that you, like, oh, yeah, that's the person? Ken Griffey Jr. Oh, oh. yes. I, Most beautiful swing that, of all time. Yeah, That's hockey right. player, right? <laughs> <laughs> that, that's Wayne Griffey Jr. That's oh, who that oh, is. Oh. Yeah, you're close. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Ken no, Griffey. Do you remember yeah. um, Ken Griffey Jr. baseball? Oh, yeah. 64? I still own Fantastic. that game. Yeah. <laughs> so good. So good. Ken Griffey what? Ken Griffey Jr. baseball it's for like N64. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, it was so good. Yeah. Yeah, maybe the best baseball game for vi- for video games. Yeah, outside of if you remember original Nintendo. Uh, oh man, what was it called? MLB All Stars. Play ball. Like, it was yeah. awesome. Oh, Is that when the ball made the? Boo. Yep, yep. <laughs> oh, RBI baseball. What? I don't think it was RBI baseball. No. That's the one I always played. It might have been that that noise for sure. It might have. Maybe it was that one. I'd have to go back and look. But Ken Griffey Jr. Solid. So were you like a baseball player? Like, did you play when you were? Do you? I was. I was a baseball player. Yeah. Um. I played, and I got to the point when I got to college. Um. I went to one day in college, uh, (laughs) playing, and I was like. And they gave us the schedule on the first day, and I looked at it, and I'm like, I can't go to four months worth of practice for baseball, because when I played in high school, it was, I played basketball, baseball, and football, so I never had, like, that preseason of baseball. Yeah, yeah. So, because basketball season would go well into it, so I would basically end basketball next day, first first day of baseball season, you start playing. But, like, four months of practice... I I can't do, do batting it. cages, and so I was just like you know I'm done. Yeah, yeah. can I just show up for the games, coach? I don't exactly. know. Does that work? Um, so you could have been, you yeah. could have been pro. It's not that you were like you got. I thought you were going to say I got to college and I realized everyone was so much better than me, and so I I gave it up. But you actually probably could hang, and you could have been Ken Griffey Jr. Had you just stuck it out for the practices. Well, I don't know about all that, but. <laughs> My one of my teammates. So um, in high school, one of my teammates, Joey Biagini, he currently plays for the Cubs. That is a great baseball name. Yeah, Joey and Biagini. Yeah, yeah. That is a, that is a solid baseball name. You know, if you look at him, he's hilarious. You should look him up. And he was actually on Jimmy Fallon, and they had a whole bit with him on Jimmy Fallon because. Um, but anyway, that's beside the point. Um, <laughs> He he was on my team and um, he was injured most of the year, but he got second team all league and I got first team all league and that's my claim to fame. Dang. Hey. Better than Giannini, <laughs> Joey Biagini. Yeah, Biagini. let's go. <laughs> and that's only because he was injured. <laughs> still counts. Yeah. I mean, it still counts. Still in the record book. <laughs> what about you, Kev? 
Mine's not nearly as exciting, but when I was in, oh man, I was probably like second or third grade. I came out and I told my mom I wanted to be an American gladiator. <laughs> you guys <remember> that? <laughs> Nitro. Nitro. <laughs> American gladiators. Gemini. Lace. Nitro. Gold. Laser. Blaze. Thunder. Uh, Nitro's the one I remember. What's, what's some of the some of the girls' names? Were, what was like oh. Butterfly or Gemini? Yeah, or Gemini. Something. Yeah, dude. My brother and I were just talking about this show, and they actually speaking of video games, they released. Back, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Remember the Super Nintendo? Yes. It was so bad, it's so bad. Oh, but yeah, I, and I I did not get close to ever becoming a an American Gladiator. So good thing because it's pretty much non-existent <laughs> yeah, now. Right? It's true. <laughs> you train your yeah. whole life. <laughs> For this moment, uh, no, it's not popular anymore. Brandon, what about you? What did you want to be, dude? I wanted to be a singer. Well, that that, that worked out. It did. <laughs> it worked out for you. It did. Yeah. Of the I'm three of us, you you realized your dreams. And I've done. You still have time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've done about every every career on the way to being a singer that you could imagine. Like I did, I think that's how you become a singer. Is you do every career you could imagine on your way to becoming a singer. Like that, that sounds familiar. Because, like one of the things I did in college was uh, I performed at birthday parties. It was, it was that was actually the first time I ever came to the peninsula. Yeah, it was for a all birthday the, party. All the, all the people that would pay as much as we charged were on the peninsula, yeah. and so we got. I think the company before I started working got sued by like Disney or something, and so they didn't ever say the actual names. So they'd say like cowboy sheriff, but I was obviously Sheriff Woody. I would come out as Sheriff Woody and sing Woody's Roundup. They taught me how to do balloon animals. Uh, Brandon, my birthday was literally last weekend. And why did I not know this? I did Peter Pan, the scarecrow. Was it like Smeeter Span or something like that? <laughs> yeah. Boy who flies in ships. Yeah. <laughs> So, I bring up that question because we're talking about who we really should. If we were going to give the right answer, we really should have said Jesus. <laughs> right? Who did you want to be when you grow up? Nitro. Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh. But I started thinking about when, uh, the, the beginning of your message. You were kind of talking about how Jesus is getting these guys to follow him. And I was thinking about, like, what would it take... If if some guy came around and was doing all this crazy stuff, what would it what would it take for you to be like, all right, I believe him, I'm in. Well, I just was thinking about, you know, Jesus wasn't the first to claim that he was the Messiah. And and so there were there were others who would come along, make similar claims as Jesus. And I think Stephen went that what you kind of elaborated on is is some of the evidence as to why he was, in fact, who he said he was, um, you know, that was different than the others. And so, you know, when I think of, you know, I think when you when you consider like that he wasn't the first, and I'm sure others had followers that would kind of come behind them assuming the same things, even though they weren't Jesus, um, I think it's, it's probably similar tropes that we, we fall into today, whether it's like political promises and promises of a better future or fame or notoriety, um, or even just kind of some display of 
um, some sort of power or authority, right? Like we we fall under those traps now, where we want to follow those individuals because they make promises uh, that, that they they you know can or can't keep. Usually, certainly not if they're, they're the promises that Jesus made. They can't keep those things because they aren't in fact divine. Uh, but I think I think we do this in a lot of different ways, right? Like we do fall behind people um, for probably similar type, at least genre of claims. You know, whether it's again um, a sort of promise of a better life or a future. Um, but I think we all we all do that at some level. You know, like some of those with Elon around. Musk. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> Did you talk about that, Stephen? With the the that there were other people that claimed to be the Messiah. I didn't. I didn't mention okay, that. Okay, yeah, because I was like, yeah. I, I must have missed that part. But that's really interesting. Like, yeah. when you think about that, yeah, like there must have been other other people yeah. who said, "I'm the Messiah," and you yeah. don't hear about them two thousand years later. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, and again, that was that was the claim of the Caesars, right? I'm the son of God. They're making a divine claim. Now it's different than than they weren't necessarily claiming the culmination of Israel's history, like Jesus was. That's a, a subtly different one. But they were still making those sorts of divine claims. That they had the secrets to the universe or whatever, and they could lead you know lead the world in a, in a particular manner, um, and we still we still fall for that. We still get caught up in those things. Yeah, I mean, I think about the other. You said there are people around that time that were claiming the same thing, but there are even people since that have been claiming the continuation yeah. or the. So you mentioned political parties and things, but I'm also thinking that's what Islam is, right? And that's what. Um, Mormonism is are these places where there's the claim that there's an there's further there's more revelation and I think it's Jesus is different because he substantiated all the claims he made mm. um, he he wasn't just prophesied to be the one who um, brought healing and atonement he lived out he died and was resurrected he um, lived a full life that was perfect. And, you know, in, in so many ways he fulfilled all of the things, nece- all the things necessary. I didn't mean to qualify it like I did, but he did fulfill everything necessary to be the Messiah. And he showed us that, um, he was the fulfillment of everything that came before. It's a unified story. And the only way, um, I, I think to really drive home that, reality that Jesus is different is that when you read Jesus in the story of scripture as a whole, it makes sense. And what he said is exactly what the Hebrew scriptures were saying. Um, That's one of the reasons why I was so um, intentional about going to Isaiah. Mm -hmm. This is a constant refrain throughout the prophets. Like this is what's going to happen. And then he fulfilled it all. You know, you know, it gets me. Is wasn't wasn't James Jesus' brother like one of his followers? Mm-hmm. Like, I think about like my brother, <laughs> and if like he tried to convince me that he was God, <laughs> <laughs> and the fact that James actually became like a follower, they're like that guy brings some validity. <laughs> <laughs> when you went into Isaiah, um. You use this, uh, it said, holy, holy, holy. And you said something that I, I, I'm really interested in. That, that You said thrice times holy. Mm-hmm. And that's like the reason they say holy, holy, holy is it's because... It's a great band name, by the way. Thrice <laughs> yeah. times holy. 
That's a good band name. Isn't Thrice a band? Thrice is a band name. Yeah, that is a band name. But we could add the Times Holy, the yeah. Christian version. If you like Thrice, you'll love it. But isn't Thrice a Christian band? Are they? I don't know. I didn't listen Yeah, maybe to they are. Yeah, I feel yeah, like yeah. they were, though. Anyway. Um, you said three holies is like the max. Yeah. That's I started a, thinking through all of like our worship songs. I'm like, is there any worship songs that say it four times? <laughs> like, whoa, you've gone too far. <laughs> like, what is what's up with that? Why is why is three why is thrice times holy the most you can do? Yeah, <laughs> I think um, it's more of a um, Hebrew language thing rather than or more than anything else. Where this was a the way that you communicated most was saying holy 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 or repeating whatever you're doing three times and you'll see patterns of three repeated all throughout the bible um there and that describes the totality of things um and so i think when they're communicating about jesus or about the lord on his throne it says the the yahweh almighty on his throne um they're saying that he is the maximum amount of holy. There's nothing more holy than he is. And it's significant, I think, because when they talk about God, what they describe him as is holy. Um, and I, that's what I really wanted to draw out there. Um, a lot of people in our culture emphasize that Jesus is love. But the people in heaven who are around him mm. emphasize that he is not just holy, he is the most holy. And the best analog we have um, that I've heard several people use is like the sun. The sun is this incredible thing, but in many ways it's holy because um, it's unique in where it stands and it's good, but... If you get too close to it, you're going to get consumed because it is so holy. Um, but it's not thrice holy. No, it's not thrice holy. It's just... <laughs> but, it, I mean, that's the closest analog we have, right? We, we're we never going to understand the totality of God's holiness. But I think that's what the, the author is trying to communicate, though, is how distinct or different or other than us god is and it's so other that the immediate response of the prophet of god the guy who speaks god's words is i'm unclean i can't be here i i don't deserve to be in the presence of this holy god and that's why i was trying to draw in the um the, the temple and the tabernacle, yeah. how that was supposed to be the place. And, and um, Moses couldn't go in to the tabernacle because that was right after the golden calf incident. And they were not clean. They had just committed this heinous sin and they can no longer go into the presence of God because of their wickedness. And so what they needed to do was make atonement, which is what we see in um, Leviticus. And then it's interesting in Isaiah because it seems like the reversal. Back then they needed to kill an animal and sacrifice it in order. But instead in Isaiah, God is sending something from his place to 
Isaiah to make him clean so that Isaiah can now be back in the presence of God again. Mm. Um, I think it's a beautiful um, image for us to, I mean, really think about. No, I feel like there's a, I feel like there's elements that, that temple, if I can call it temple thinking, there's still sort of remnants of that. Like today, like I, I think about like uh, a friend of mine who like I'll invite him to church and he'll say, Oh man, if I, if I go into that church, I'm going to get struck by lightning, you know? And that's what he's saying is I feel, and he's not using that language, but I feel unclean. Like I feel like if I go around something that's supposed to be holy, even if I don't quite understand it, that I'm, that something bad will happen to me just like in the, the Holy of Holies, but that that's no more. Right. Yeah. Which is so interesting in like thinking through, like, and I'm thinking more sociologically now on like your friend's example because I hear that often as well. Like, as a pastor, when I when I you know live around in the Bay Area and people find out I'm a pastor, all of a sudden they're like, "Oh, I'm sorry, I shouldn't say that. Or I can't cuss or this <laughs> yeah. or that." They they feel that sense of having to clean up, right? right. And, and it's interesting in a thoroughly secular environment. I don't mean that pejoratively, but just in a, in a space that um, would would if if you were to ask them what they believe, they would say there is no God for the most part. Uh, that there's still this kind of hang up, this sort of impulse in them. What again, it's what Charles Taylor would say, we live in that secular age where we're haunted by the divine. Like we can't really yeah. shake the idea of that. Um, and it's just interesting because there is that hang up where they, they feel that. And I think it's an impulse. Um, hopefully that doesn't result in shame um, like your, your, your friend does or whatnot, but, but of the realization of there is something more to this life. There is this, Existence. So even though, like maybe in their head, they would say they don't believe in a god. Um, I think when you when we really kind of pin people down, most people still have that. Um, you know, and you even see that like when when I always kind of smile when um, I listen to non-believers and they want to make an emphatic point, they will still use the word "amen," and it's interesting to me that they evoke kind of church language to make an emphatic point, and and I'm convinced it's because there is still that latent kind of belief in the divine um, even though they wouldn't necessarily say it they, they would want to think they'd move past it but anyway it's a bit of a tangent but yeah well yeah, yeah I, I actually kind of kind of goes with the next thing i wanted to to bring up because i feel like also in the culture there there actually is a fairly broad i think acceptance of jesus as a teacher um not not everything but like even even people that have that are like vehemently against the church. I'll see them post stuff about something Jesus said me like, man, I wish Jesus followers would actually follow what Jesus said, you know, and they'll say, you know, this guy was on to something. Most people will be okay with that. But you sort of say you sort of you kind of confronted us with this question. Maybe the scripture also confronted us with with the question is where where is he where, where does he reside for us? Because I think it's really easy to keep Jesus in the teacher category. And you you said that when things get really hard, that's when sort of that's when lordship is revealed. Right. Because yeah. that's when you really have to decide do I actually trust him? There's this there's this reality where it's easy for us to know that Jesus is saying good things. Um and it's easy for us to also set up our lives in a way to avoid things that we think are super bad. Um, but James says 
the brother of Jesus says, um, even the demons believe and they tremble. Mm. And the, the point in that passage in James seems to be the way you live your life needs to reflect what you say you believe. And as I, you know, sort of process through this, it's like the only reason why you would go from agreeing with the demons that he is God, that's, that's a fact to, um, I'm going to live a certain way would not just be because he has some good suggestions. It's because he's the God who created everything and knows what's best. And, you know, the question is, are you going to submit to what God says is best because he knows what's best? Or are you going to say, well, yeah, he can be who he, whoever he is, but I'm still going to be Lord over my life. Mm-hmm. And I think that's one of the biggest questions there is, you know, you can you can say whatever you want, but your actions and your emotions and the way you think about things shows or reveals what you really are going to let master you. Um, and I think there's another there's another passage that also says I won't be mastered by anything, but in everything I'm going to, um, I'm trying to remember off the top of my head, but, um, yeah, ultimately he's, Paul was trying to communicate that he wants God to be master over your life. Um, rather than letting the things of this world master your heart. Um, and I think it, it really goes into that mindset. Yeah. You know, one of the things Stephen, we were talking about before Sunday too, as we were, just reading through your message is we're, and it goes, I think with this teacher or Lord thing is that there's this refrain that you, you didn't have time to bring out in your sermon as much, but we saw, um, you know, but in, in both the stories that when Jesus does in fact teach, the people are amazed yep. and they're amazed because he teaches with authority. Mm-hmm. And so there's, there's a sense where we want to draw a line and bifurcate teacher and Lord, but it's actually, because Jesus is Lord, it redeems him as a teacher, and it brings that authority, right? That That's something different than prior. I have a question. <laughs> yeah. You, you Brandon, just a, let, let the listener know, Brandon rose his hand in the middle of my I last sentence. I rose my hand. Um, what is bifurcate? <laughs> a, how do you spell it? B-I-F-U-R-C-A-T-E. Somebody will check that. Bifurcate. And it means to divide and, and keep separate. We want to bifurcate. We want to keep them That's cool. apart. How come you didn't just say divide? Because bifurcate's a better word. Yeah. <laughs> He's expanding our lexicon. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, vocab points. Sorry, did I interrupt your thought with my you hand? You did, because you rose I'm your sorry. hand. I I'm thought sorry. like maybe the mics weren't recording anymore. <laughs> you can continue but, your thought. So you were bifurcating. Well, I was bifurcating. No, you were actually, and I was correcting your bifurcation. But... So we want to divide teacher and Lord into um, polar opposites, but but it's it's the it, it, like we can't lose that Jesus was in fact teacher, mm-hmm. but he was a different kind of teacher because he was Lord, mm-hmm. and so the lordship of Jesus actually redeems that that title of teacher, and I mean historically in in our faith we've done this where we've. We've, there's there's a, a branch of Protestantism that takes Jesus and really reduces him solely to teacher and not Lord. Mm. There's another branch that takes him as just Lord and not teacher. And when we do that, we miss the fact um, that, that kind of thing what you were just saying, where it's, no, no, the Lordship of Jesus 
means he understands the universe in a way. So when he says something like, it's better to give than receive, or the first will be last in the kingdom of God, it's not arbitrary advice. It's ontologically saying this is the way the, the world operates now that the kingdom of God is here. It's, like a, it's a claim to the real understanding of the universe. And so it gives them that, that authority. And I think that's why in the text that people were amazed by his teaching because it was with authority. And we'll see that kind of throughout um, the Gospel of Mark as well. Yeah, that'll keep coming up that he has a different type of authority all throughout Mark. And I really wanted to go to Isaiah to show, like, this is why he has that authority. Um, This is why he's different than being just a teacher. Yeah, Uh, Which is why we can trust him teaching, like, how to live here and now. Not just for salvation, right. but also for how we understand the world operating, right? And it's both of those things. Because he's the holy one. Mm-hmm. He's the thrice holy one, right? Yeah. And there's that, that kind of where Isaiah is like hammering that home and Mark's, as you drew, drew out, Mark is you know, linking it back into that. Yeah. I feel like growing up, one of the maybe the biggest misunderstandings of my faith, because you know, I was raised in this faith, like growing up, the belief in the decision was the major emphasis. And I particularly remember like these summer camps I would go to and you have our Friday night campfire moment and, and the, the preacher really brings it and he asks you, you know, to make a decision for Christ. And the impression that I always got, and maybe this is just me getting the wrong impression, but I'm curious if you guys have seen this leak into your streams of faith the impression that I got is once you do that, now Jesus is Lord. But as I'm mm. as as I'm now a grown up, <laughs> I'm gonna be almost entering into my forties next year. I feel like I'm just beginning to understand that lordship, for me anyway, it's like it's not <laughs> it's not a one and done, man. It's like I, I'm constantly trying to surrender more and more and more to his lordship. Um, have you, do, you, do you resonate with that at all, or is it just me? I do. I, I really f- felt a lot of the same things growing up, and it used to really bother me that I would see the same, the same kids go up and then raise their hand every week. Um, <laughs> it's like, well, it's what a did they do last week? Rededication. <laughs> yeah. That guy's and- rededicated 12 times. <laughs> and... As I've studied, you you learn where that sort of mentality came from. And I, I feel like the people who really started that movement of raise your hand and follow Jesus had a good heart and they really wanted people to come to God and they wanted a actual tactile way for you to remember the that you're changing your life now. And I think in many ways that's a great thing, but the stream that I kind of come in now, um, theologically, we don't really emphasize that you make this one decision one time because the Christian life is about a lifestyle of confession and repentance and trusting in God. And there's not just going to be this one point where you punch your ticket and you get to go to heaven or you buy your fire insurance or whatever you want to call it. You have to, take up your cross daily and Mm. die to yourself. And so I think in many ways it can also be harmful kind of to 
and just say, if you make this decision, you're good because then people have convinced themselves. And I run into this a lot as a teacher at a school, a Christian school. A lot of these kids think, well, I said at camp one day um, that I was a Christian. So now I'm going to heaven and I can live however I want, or Mm -hmm. I don't really need to pay attention to what you're saying in Bible class because it doesn't really matter because I already said yes to Jesus. And so there, there's also that, that sort of the, the struggle I have with that sort of mentality. I think it's good in some ways, but I also think that it's dangerous in some ways. And so I think it's important that we really emphasize that being a Christian is a lifelong journey. It's not mm. a, a, it's not, a, not a destination, I guess is the way it's said. Well, part of it is the, the confusion in terms here, and we have, to, we have to clarify the difference between salvation and the kingdom of God. Yeah. And, and when we reduce the gospel to salvation and not the inbreaking kingdom of God, which is, again, going back to my first sermon and I think the third sermon in the Gospel of Mark, when Jesus says, I've come to preach the gospel, the kingdom of heaven is here. Repent and believe the gospel, right? Like, that's what he's claiming that the gospel is, or declaring. I shouldn't say he's claiming, he's just saying it because it's... Jesus has that authority. Uh, but when we reduce the gospel to salvation, um, which is the cornerstone of the gospel, like without, without salvation, you don't have a gospel, but it's not, it's not the totality of the story. And when we reduce it to salvation, it is about in or out. But when, when we talk about like, you know, we, we don't make Jesus Lord of our life. Jesus is Lord of our life. It's whether we come under his lordship. Mm, right. In the yeah. same way that like you can... You know, think of it in the same terms that that Caesar would use, right? Caesar was in fact the emperor. You could choose not to fall under his his rule, but there's going to be consequences to that. And in the same way that, like, if we submit to the lordship of Christ, then we find the kingdom of God a little more. Like, we're living into the reality of the kingdom of God, but it's not something that we create or make. And so, when someone says, "I've said the prayer, I'm good. I don't have to worry about it." That's not that's never that's never been the invitation. The invitation has been to repent, to rethink, and then enter into the kingdom of God that is here. Not to make Jesus Lord, but to submit to the lordship of Jesus. It's to realize and live with with the grain of the universe because the kingdom of God is in fact breaking in in the universe. And so I think there there's just we get we get those terms so um, mixed up, and yeah. and I mean the invitation that we'll see we see in Mark all the time is it's not to be a Christian, it's to be a disciple, because that's how you understand and live into the kingdom of God. It's how you understand the lordship of Jesus as that teacher Lord, right? Who will then teach us how to live into the kingdom of God here and now. And so I, we we mix up that <clears throat> that invitation because we I think we're just we get really sloppy with our language. Um, and then all of a sudden it falls exactly into what you guys were saying, where it's like, yeah, we need, we, we become people of repent, confession and repentance over and over and over, taking up our cross daily because we recognize the many ways our lives are incongruent with the kingdom of God. And that then is the work of discipleship. Um, but the kingdom of God is something that's entered, not mm. created or made by us, right? Like it's already here and it's, do we, do we enter it or not? And you sort of spoke about this, Stephen, when you, when you said you sort of, Tell me if I'm saying this right. You sort of said that a lot of us try to fall on either line of what you called orthodoxy, like what we believe, and orthopraxy, what we actually do. And we'll say we kind of tend to emphasize one or the other. Um, 
And what you're saying is Jesus is all about the orthodoxy and the orthopraxy that they need to go together. But you also used a new one <laughs> that I haven't heard, orthopathy. Yeah. And you said that it also, we should pay attention to how we feel. Is that what it is? Yeah. How we well, feel? Well, your emotions, yeah. Yeah. And I think that is a good indicator of where our hearts are, mm. is what makes you upset, what makes you excited, tells you where your heart is. And I, I try to use the example of your children, because your heart is with them, because you love them so if somebody hurts them, you're going to be mad. Um, or if they do great things, you're going to be stoked because your heart is with them. And I think in much the same way, if God is, if our heart is with God, if God is the Lord of our life, that will show in our emotions. We'll be stoked when we see baptism. I remember that on Easter Sunday when we were doing baptisms. There was something about it. Mm-hmm. It's, I mean, they were already Christians, but seeing them like come and get baptized and become like visibly become a part of the covenant community is like a beautiful thing, and it fills us with joy. But why they just got wet? Like you know, like you could just essentialize it but there's more to it and we Mm. know there's more to it and that's why it draws on our emotions and um so i was trying to point point out like yeah you can just be focused on the things you believe and you know read all your systematic theologies or you could just be focused on what you do and you know spend all your free time at the the charities but if you don't really actually care about the kingdom of god or what he's doing then you're just going through the motions. It's easy to fake it. And I don't think Jesus wants us to fake it. I think he truly wants our hearts. Mm. He doesn't just want our actions. And I think that was the point of the Sermon on the Mount, too. What I love about what you're saying there, Stephen, too, is that it's chipping away at that idea that we have no control over what we feel, mm. right? Yeah. Which I think is is a fallacy, right? It's not accurate. And what you're you're kind of getting at beautifully is the more that we center Christ, the more we center God, that does, in fact, stir our affections. And, like, the silly example is, like, there's a a very real reason why I hate the Dodgers. (laughs) There's a very real reason. Because I grew up in a house that has Giants fans. Right. And so I had a, a life that has literally been decades of me learning to hate the Dodgers. Right. And so when I see... A different color of laundry, which is what their jerseys are, is right. just laundry. <laughs> it evokes an emotion in me because that's been cultivated in me, right? Right to hate the Dodgers, which I still do. But it's it's like we 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 actually do have a lot of control. I love what you're saying. There's find the things that stir your affections for God, and then build that into your life. Like you know, do the things that stir our hearts towards that affection because we do have a level of control over our emotions. Um, and whatnot, and that, that's important. So I want to I want to leave people with how do we do that? Like, how do we maybe? Are, is there anything practical that that you can think of, Stephen or Kevin? Any practical ways that we can examine our heart, that we can nurture our heart, um, so that we are not losing our heart in the midst of trying to follow Jesus? Like, how do how do we? Um, make sure that we keep our heart engaged. I often like to use the example of marriage. Um, with my wife, if I 
don't pay attention to her <laughs> for days on end, then my my heart will grow. You know, like you, you don't feel the same sort of intimacy as if you are spending time or, you know, going on dates or paying attention to her and what she needs. And so it's important for me as a husband in order to love my wife, I need to listen to her, talk to her, spend time with her. And I think in much the same way with God, what we need to do is find as we mentioned, things that stir your affection, find what it is. And, you know, there's going to be times where, you know, maybe reading the Bible is tough, but we do it because we want to hear from God. Mm-hmm. Maybe um, going to church might seem like a chore, but we do it because we are in the community of believers all worshiping God together. We we do these things because... um even if they aren't the thing that is most exciting this week, it's because our biggest goal, our, our highest hope is to grow in in our love for, for God. And so there's this part, I think where, yes, the disciplines are important, but then as we were saying, also find ways that you can stir your effect. If you find God in going hiking, then go hiking go go see the top of that mountain look at his beautiful creation stare i mean i I just found out yesterday that uh, mount diablo you could see the the second place in the world second uh, i don't know how to say this right but in mount the top of mount diablo you can see the most surface area of the earth or the second most from that point on top of mount diablo and is it flat mount diablo no the earth (laughs) <laughs> Continue. <I'll>, uh, <laughs> Tune in next week. <laughs> Any uh, questions there? Can you go to Kbox? <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, it's not flat. I'll answer that one pretty easily. Yeah, it's not. It's not flat. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but no, I, Steve, I love. I think that's like. I'm convinced that the number one way, or the step we have to take to nurture heart, or I should say, the first step, is we just have to be attentive to God. Yeah. We just have to find a way to slow down. Mm. And you cannot, at the pace we run, at the noise in which we let just shape our minds, we can't. And so it's how do we do that? Is it hiking? Is it this or that? Is it putting your phone away? Is it waking up early? Like what we're going to see actually this Sunday is some of the ways in which Jesus drew his attention to, to God. He's going to, out of the, the text that we just preached on this past week, crowds are growing, fame is rising, all of this is happening. And Jesus, it says that very early in the morning, he escapes away into the solitude, into the Aramos. And he he often oscillates between busyness and then this retreat away from everything. Mm. So he could pray. And he could could sit in that sort of affection with Jesus. So we're actually, we are going to talk about that this Sunday, but I think that's what it is, is that find what stirs your heart towards God, cultivate that into your life. um, And that fundamentally starts with just being growing attentive to God around us. Awesome. Stephen, thank you. Great job. Yes. Um, And thank you all for listening. And we will talk to you next week.